Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. One storyline that we have not spoken about yet since uh, concluding the episode, which is, you know, uh, I think a really interesting, I don't know, situation that we find in this episode is the whole thing with, um, with Amir and Naamah and their relationship, which we, you know, have seen kind of off and on over a number of episodes of, you know, they're both lonely and just kind of have a comfort level when they're feeling lonely or particularly things like when Naamah is feeling lonely. Um, you know, she calls Amir over and they're just kind of, you know, they're intimate with one another. And now all of a sudden Amir is dating Ifat and I think wants to be serious with Ifat. And this question comes up about what their Amir and Naamah's halakhic status is. Like what's, What's the deal with their relationship? You know, they got, they were married, they got divorced. Now they've had sex a number of times. You know, they debate, you know, they disagree about the number of times. Um, but it, it's something that clearly has happened. You know, clearly they've had sex numerous times. And so, you know, they come before this rabbi and they sort of tell him the situation. And he says, you know, you got to get divorced again. You know, you need a get the chumrah, um, which a get the chumrah is a whole topic you know, maybe we'll get into, and I think we've spoken about a little bit previously about sort of when there's like cases in which you're not sure if you married someone or like, you're not sure if the marriage was done the right way. This happens. I think the case I, I probably mentioned previously is like in camp, uh, summer camp is like a case that there are a number of rabbinic true vote written about um, where, you know, there's a certain formula of what a boy, you know, a, a man says to a woman or, a guy, a guy says to a girl, a boy says to a girl, it can be, uh, you know, hooray, ot, and so forth, while holding an object of value in his hands that he gives to her. And if with, that happens... With, with, witnesses, with witnesses. With witnesses attesting to the fact that, right, and all of that. And it's like, okay, if they did that, hooray, you're married, or you're at least betrothed to one another, and you need to get, you need a divorce document. Um, even if it's what we call suffix kiddushin, if it's potential, possible um, kiddushin, possible betrothal. And in this episode, we see a different type of suffix kiddushin. Can I just clarify one thing before? I've, I'm Please. seeing a few confused phrases. Yeah. At, at Jewish camp, <laughs> um, sometimes you will do mock insert life cycle. So mock weddings are something that counselors specifically have a very good time doing because they get to, you know, put the couple who's together in the ADA and they get to be the bride and the groom and blah, blah, blah. And they go through the steps of the wedding. It's supposed to be an educational experience for the kids to see what a Jewish wedding is supposed to look like. So they do it you know, almost perfectly so that the kids get to see what a real Jewish wedding looks like. But what Rabbi Pernick is bringing up is that if you go through the formula of hare at, you know, for the rest of the sentence, you and you, there's some exchange of something of substance, you are now actually potentially marrying those two people together 
especially if, which is what happened at our camp a lot, the couple happens to also have feelings for one another. There's, there's this idea that that could actually be a wedding because everything that you need for a wedding is right there. Anyway, so people were looking confused. I just want to make sure that we understood why summer camp would have weddings for young people. But I'll, I'll also note, it's not, I mean, that's, sometimes it's, you know, that the counselors put on a mock wedding. Sometimes the kids are in middle school and have learned in, in their day schools or wherever what it takes to formally marry someone. By the way, for people who watched Schnitzel, this came up in Schnitzel, where like the guy, right, just like, Says to, you know, what, you know, says to her, basically like, you're my witnesses, hooray, off and so forth. It's like, okay, we're married. Um, right. So, so sometimes it's as Rabbi Schatz is talking about of like the counselors having fun and doing a mock wedding. Sometimes it's you have middle schoolers who are in, you know, feel, have feelings for someone of the opposite sex for the first time. And it's sort of like, oh, I know, I know how to seal the deal here like I know what to do when um you know if I I like her she likes me like let's get married I mean I remember I went to a public school and I remember like people talking about quote-unquote marrying other people They're, you know having you know pseudo marriage ceremonies to, of like declaring their commitment to to people and it's a yeah. thing like middle schoolers are lonely and self-conscious you know I want to share a really, I want to share a really funny story that I don't think I've ever shared before. Um, when I was a Roche da at Ramah, there was this song that was popular in Israel. I have no idea why, where the words are "Hare at mekudeshet li betabat zokedat Moshe Israel," which is the the whole sentence that a man says to a woman, and it's a very cute song. It goes "Hare at mekudeshet li mekudeshet li mekudeshet li," and it's like this whole. It's a real song, and we they were teaching it to my kid my campers my kids and i wasn't there and i show up at the end of them having shira or whatever and they were like rebecca we have this they actually call me shots we we have this really fun thing to show you that we just learned and they started singing this song and i was like oh 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 boy how are we gonna how are we gonna get ourselves out of this because they could they couldn't pass anything to one another during the during the song. They couldn't have anything in their hands. Um, if they're so, repeating words, it doesn't count. But later on, it's like the whole. Se- anyway, it was a very it was a very interesting experience. And any of my staff um, remember that as like we did hand movements so the kids couldn't touch each other. It was I took it very seriously, probably a little too seriously, um, but it was very funny and. Uh, and a fun way of remembering that line very well from now until forever. <laughs> uh, so can I, so clarify. So that line they were saying, that's like an official, like a halachic marriage. Yeah. Commitment. So if someone said that line to me and there, cause it's traditionally it's a man to a woman. So mm-hmm. if, if a man walked into my house right now with three other men, uh, mm-hmm. could, could be two other men, but whatever, walked into my house with other men and said to me, Hariyat said the whole line, um, then they, they <laughs> my partner just asked me to share a story and now I'm going to, anyway, um, they, oh, they would, they would see me being betrothed to another person by just saying that line. If there are witnesses. Okay. The story, sorry, I was distracted by reading the comment when I was in, when I was living in Israel, I have a very good friend who was in rabbinical school with me. He's now married and lives in Canada. 
And uh, he and I used to do all of our life cycles together when we also did like mock life cycles in rabbinical school. And he and I would do that. I forget why it became a joke, but he and I did every life cycle. So like even for death, you know, one of us was the dead person. One of us was the rabbi. We did, we did all the life cycles together. And we were in Israel and he had a muffin in his hand and I I don't know what kind of came over him, but I was walking in the yeshiva and he threw a muffin at me while saying the words, and I smacked the muffin in the air so that I didn't catch it because there were lots of witnesses. And had he actually said that line to me with all those witnesses, um, I would have freaked out, probably would have been fine, but we would have been technically married. So that's the story that I Parnik wanted me to share with you. Yeah. And how old were these kids in the camp when they were singing it? My kids were 12, uh, 11. Okay, so is there anything like halakhically that basically, cause that kind of gives you like, like a common sense writer that says, okay, these kids are not, are obviously not trying to betray the judge. So yeah, so even that's- if they say it, yeah, so Rabbi Pernick can speak to that. I cut him off right before I think he was. Yeah, left. no. So there's there's an you know there are a number of two votes of rabbinic response on this topic, you know, and, and in some cases you could say, oh, you know, they're just joking. You know, always the, the assumption is that they're joking, but sometimes the kids in their minds weren't joking, right? Even if we as adults are like, they don't know what marriage is. They're 12 years old, right? Sometimes the kids are like, oh no no, I like. We want. We agreed. We wanted to do this, you know. Um, and so the question is like, okay, so what do you do now? Um, if you know the boy gave the girl a, a ring pop or, or a muffin or a ring pop, it's probably sufficient value, truthfully, and um, said, zone and so forth. Um, and she, you know, accepts it. Like they're now again, they're not fully married. They are. They've done kiddushin, which is the first step of the Jewish marriage. Um, there's two steps. There's Kiddushin and then there's Chopa or Nisuin. But even though they're not fully married, nevertheless, you would still need a get in order to dissolve that marriage. Um, and even if it's a case where, you know, you said they're joking around, it's like not real, it's not serious. Nevertheless, you still, what, what the rabbi in this episode said is a get lechumra, a Right, because we're unsure, just to just to be safe, you should get a get. Because if we're wrong, and then it turns out that that marriage was effectual, right? It did count, and then you know she marries someone else. Now we have a a big problem, lots of big problems that come up about. So, on one side, the easier solution is just get a get lechumra. So there's no question. Just you know. It's done. The downside is anyone can think of any downsides of this of getting, you know, the get lechomra, the just to be safe uh, divorce document. Kohanim. Kohanim. So now the woman can't marry a Kohen. Great. That's a pretty they're, big problem. Yeah, they're both divorced people. The, the bride price will be different. There's lots of differences. They're both right. Exactly. We've spoken before about you know the stigma attached to divorcees. And, and all this at twelve years old. And all this at 12 years old, exactly, right? So, so we have real issues that arise, but there's also real issues that arise if you don't dissolve it through a get. And you know, now the woman is considered an Asian ish potentially. She's 
um, you know, considered married. And so if she were to marry someone else now, that's an adulterous relationship. Can you, can, can you, like, could you be able to ask, like, um, okay, was this serious? Were you joking? If they said, well, we're serious, like, ah, crap. Yeah, if they said we're serious, they had two witnesses there who said, yeah, we talked about it. They you know, did this intentionally and so forth. Like, yeah, it's a problem. You have a real issue. And, you know, most of the two votes say you need a get lachumra. You need to, you know, you need this uh, this get, this divorce document, which is, you know, as Norm and others point out, has has real ramifications. We also, and then, we're also... And then even more so if they were 15 or 16. Yeah. yeah. We're also, right, Pernick and I happen to weirdly have lots of stories about this, but this is not happening, like, in normal circumstances. It seems to be happening a lot in our lives, but this is... I've like, never had a personal experience of it. Okay, it happens a lot in my life. Um, <laughs> so, but but people, like, kids, we're, we're spending a lot of time on this particular piece, which actually isn't even our topic, um, but... but <laughs> Kids are not walking around just like reciting this phrase to people. I mean, we're not writing get lachumras like to most children. So if people are listening to this and wondering like how often do you have to write that kind of a get? Not not often in this particular you know type of case. Um, but if you were to be in this type of case that happens one in a million, then you might have to write a get lachumra. Right. Is that fair? Just to respond to the, the conversation on the side about vows, right? So Sharif asked, you know, about a vow that you didn't intend, but, you know, but Norm answers, oh. um, right? It's a vow is something that comes out of your lips. But the issue with Kedushin is it's something you're saying while holding this thing and the other person is accepting it. So, right? So it's not in the category of vows, which is its own you know, its own attracting of the Gemara. Um, this is sort of a different category because it's not, you know, it's not just a vow because it, it's not just coming from your lips. It's there's a whole action and ritual associated. Now this connects in our episode because it's a different kind of get lachamra, but it's you know, in a lot of ways the the same. There's the Mishnah and Kiddushin says that there are three ways to betroth, you know, for a man to betroth a woman through Kesef, Shtar, or Bia. So Shtar is like a document, which no one ever uses Shtar for whatever reason um, that I'm aware of. Um, but usually we do, Norm seems like you have a story. <laughs> Everybody uses a document. The Kasuba is the document. That's not the, that's not the, that's not the Kiddushin document, right? That's the way you do Kiddushin is with Kesef, which is a So it's only if you go to, if you have Tanayim? So, so in theory, you could present a document to, you know, the man can present a document to the wife that says, you are hereby betrothed to me through this document signed by two witnesses. It actually seems perfectly reasonable and not all that different from a ketubah. But for whatever reason, in the Talmud, in, they like just totally throw out the idea of, uh, of doing kizushim through a star, through a document. The okay. ketubah is its right it is a document, but it doesn't. It's not a document that effectuates kiddushin. It's a document that clarifies the husband's responsibilities to the wife if the marriage were to be dissolved. So it's a different kind of document. Um, okay. The other, you know, the number option number two is bia is having sex for the purpose of betrothal. 
right? Wait, so that, well, I'll get to Kasef because that's the, that's the one everyone wants. Okay, okay. Yeah, Kasef is the first one, but whatever. No. You know. um, so, you know, Bia is having sex for the purpose of marriage, which means two witnesses who, you know, you say, I'm, we're about to have sex for the purpose of betrothal. There's a debate about whether the witnesses have to see you having sex or just see you be isolated and be, you know, be at, right outside the room until you're done. That's a debate. But either way, you know, it's not just two people having sex. It's, you know, we're doing it for this purpose with witnesses and so forth. Um, the rabbis very much don't like that one either. Um, but they seem to indicate in our episode, and it is also comes from the, the Shulchan Arth Code of Jewish Law, that if a couple who was previously married and divorced has sex and there's witnesses to the fact that they were secluded together overnight, we assume that they are having sex for the purpose of Kiddushin. Now, this is only the case with the couple who was previously married. Anyone else, we assume they're just being promiscuous, you know, but specifically with a couple who was previously married and divorced and hadn't married anyone else in the meantime, we assume that they're having sex for the purpose of remarrying. And so it's only in that case where they need to get get the Chumrah. Yeah, they haven't completed the marriage, but they've completed Kiddushin. I just want to point out Steve's face because that's exactly what I, that, that was my face when Brian Burnick and I talked about this initially. Um, the, the thing that I just want to clarify, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Rabbi Burnick, but I just want to clarify that this is, when you see two people go into a room who have previously been married, you assume that by them going into that room, especially if it's overnight or for a long period of time or whatever, you assume that they are going into that room to have sex, right? If you see two people who have never been married go into a room alone, you assume they're breaking the laws of Yichud, but you don't have to necessarily assume that they are having sex for marriage if they are having sex at all. So I just wanted to clarify, you don't have to know that they are having sex. <laughs> you just have to know that they entered a room together and they were in that room for an extensive amount of time that would make you think either they are staying, you know, in that room together overnight or whatever, or they are in that room for the purpose of being able to have sex. Is that correct? It's a machloket in the Talmud. So there's a machloket about whether the people attesting to the fact that they were alone together is enough to assume that they had sex together. So it's a debate, but that's one opinion. So, you know, so, so anyway, so that's our case. And it, I mean, I don't know, to me, this seems sort of, uh, I don't know if ironic or counterintuitive is probably the better word because of the fact that we see from this episode, you know, you have people who were married, they have a sense of physical comfort with one another, even if they're divorced, you know, that they have been intimate with one another before. And, you know, with Naama, you know, certainly with Amir. Naama continuously seems to be interested in getting back together, right? That is like a not so secret um, thing, you know, that, but Amir does, has seen, Amir does not seem to really be planning on getting back together. It's just kind of like, whatever, I'm lonely. And this is sort of someone who I have a physical comfort level with. Um, and kind of counterintuitively, 
Jewish law assumes in, it's only in that case where you have a comfort level with someone and you're having sex that you're doing it for the purpose of marriage. Um, I would, you know, potentially think the, think the opposite. Like this is a case where we assume they they're not trying to get married because they were married and they decided that didn't work out. Um, so, or, or that two people can have sex without assuming that it's for marriage, and that if you if those two people who were married before are now engaging in any kind of sexual intimacy that it's because there is something that that has always attracted them to one another and they understand that there that there's a safety there and there's a comfort there and i think the thing that and you sort of touched on this the thing that really surprises me is that the rabbis would would look down on that when so much of what we talk about in terms of relationships in traditional Judaism is about separating yourself from people until you are with that one person. And so if you were to find a person who you are married to, potentially have children with, or you know, have, have shared a life with, to then go back to that same person Sure, maybe maybe you know you should move on and find a new partner, but in the meantime, if you are choosing to have any kind of sexual relationship, to go back to a person who you have loved and have you know at least physical attraction to, if that's why you're going back to them, um that to me seems like a much better choice than, you know, Joe Schmo who you're not supposed to be alone with because that goes against all of what we've learned from um, from Jewish relationships. Yeah, Debbie. So just as you're not supposed to doctor shop, um, you're probably not supposed to rabbi shop either. But the um, implication, uh, until you get the answer you want to hear, um, the implication was that since there's kind of some debate about this, had they gone to a different rabbi, maybe they would have gotten a different answer. Do you think that's true? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you I mean, find a liberal enough rabbi, you'll be able to get the answer of you're totally fine because you didn't have a marriage ceremony. Right. So if you're if if you if you go to someone who believes that Bia is not a way of um, of validating marriage, then whether or not you are uh, what just oh. um, whether, <laughs> whether or not you were married previously or not there will be a rabbi who will say, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Like, I just pulled up here, you know, from the, the Code of Jewish Law, which seems pretty explicit about this case, though, right? Divorces his wife and then engages in sexual relations with her before witnesses. Or, so the witnesses part, maybe, but it says, or it is evident to everyone that he engaged sex, in sexual relations with her. But it before, wasn't. I mean, they said they did. So, you know, you can say, oh, we don't believe you, um, which we do in lots of cases. Yeah. Right. Lots of lots of times when someone says, I had an affair, we say, I don't believe you um, because the halakhic ramifications of that are significant. So, you know, theoretically, you could, you know, you can have that again, it's sort of similar going back to Schnitzel with um, Avri, the Avri character in, um, in, in Stissel, but, you know, same actor, different character. When he went to Argentina and had an affair and the rabbi was like, did you, did you meet the woman? Did you see it happen? Like, then we assume it never happened. Um, so that is a, 
a whole that's thing. Same, that's the same with our case. No one saw them. They even no go one back saw. And forth. Oh, oh right, and they asked him. The rabbi asked, right? Did I know, but they even go back and forth in front of the rabbi and say like, "Oh, but maybe, but oh, didn't the didn't the person who showed us who came to see the apartment didn't she realize that we had been married and then she left us alone?" Like no one puts that much thought into anything, and and the. The reason that Nama is so worried about it is because she wants a stringent opinion. So she's sharing all of this as if there were witnesses. But if if I walked into a room with a male and, you know, we just walked into a room and then walked out of a room, I, I wouldn't think twice about the fact that someone might have seen me and, oh, no, what could they possibly think because I walked into a room with someone of the opposite gender. So I think that, the, I mean... We can agree to disagree, but I think that you could find a liberal, a liberal rabbi who would say to you, "There's enough doubt here that, that there's no witnesses. There's no right. yeah, so yeah, yeah." There you go. You just rabbi shop, so you can decide between me and Rabbi Parnik who you want to go. <laughs> who you want to go with? Did someone else have a comment about that or a question? I also thought I saw another Is... hand. No. Okay. Oh, Norm. Yeah. I was only going to say, but if. I walk in room and find you and your ex-husband together, having been there for a long time. It might be a little different than you with the random person who happens to be male. Totally. And if you walked in on me with any male, that's very different than the scenario that we're talking about, right? I don't have an ex-husband, so that'd be very surprising to me. But, but if you walked in and I was in a room with a person of the opposite gender, right, then, then you would have you would be a witness to be able to say, well, I saw her and so-and-so together in a room. Let me make up all these stories of what could have possibly been happening in that room. But in the case that we're talking about here, no one saw them in the room without there being a need for them both to be there, right? The real estate agent was there because she was seeing the apartment they both lived in. Um, but there was no reason for her to believe that once she left, they weren't also going to leave. So, you're totally correct, and I think we're just dealing with a different scenario. Um, Bonnie asked if they were not previously married, but had if they yeah, were not previously married, but had but had a sexual relationship. Ah, uh, okay. What's the, yeah, what's what's the story there? So, I mean, I think this gets to a larger question, which is why the law falls out the way that. <laughs> Yes, uh, that might be a different character. So I think, you know, one of the questions is why, you know, why is it that we're so much, let's say, stricter in this case of, a, you know, a previously married couple that for anyone else, even if we, even if we have witnesses attesting to the fact that they were having sex, we assume it's, you know, promiscuous. But with this couple, we assume they're doing it for the sake of marriage, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I think there's a couple pieces of it. I think Bonnie's question kind of touches on that. You know, what if they had a sexual relationship? Would that also constitute marriage? I think, you know, to me, the answer would be no, because even if we know that they had a sexual relationship, we sort of assume that that was a, let's say, promiscuous sexual relationship because it didn't, it wasn't in the context of marriage. Whereas this couple we know that they had sanctified their sexual relationship previously. So I think that's one way of reading it is we, because they had made the decision to, to ritualize and sanctify their sexual relationship previously, we assume that if they 
restart their sexual relationship, it must be that they intend to sanctify it, you know, because they had made that decision to sanctify it previously. Um, that's one way of reading it. I think another way of reading it is that, you know, the rabbis want these people to get back together. <laughs> they, especially until they've gotten remarried, you know, there's a desire to like, wouldn't it be great if you got back together? It just makes things easier. You don't have to worry about all those issues, especially if there's kids involved and so forth. Like, you know, it's a, almost a way of, of pushing them like we saw here where the rabbi, you know, it's sort of like, well, you'll need to get, are you sure you really want to get? Are you sure you don't want to just stay together and get remarried? Um, so it's almost like this couple who is already, I mean, it still deals with that question of sanctity, but I think this couple who already has made that decision to sanctify previously and then separated, like, wouldn't it be great if they could re-sanctify that? Because we know that they had that ability to do it previously. So I think that's part of what the rabbinic tradition is getting at there. It's also interesting, this is not part of this topic, but um, I hadn't thought about this until you just mentioned that when the rabbi says, shouldn't you just get back together? By the way, the comment I made in the chat is completely a joke. We can talk about that if you want, but I, I was kidding. Um, the, uh, the, the way in which Amir answers very quickly, no, you're not getting back together. Um, first of all, I think is hysterical. And second of all, it also sheds light on how the world of receiving a get works. Um, so the fact that he is adamant about this marriage being over basically means this marriage is over, right? No matter, no matter kind of what she, uh, what she wants or what she thinks. You can refuse to accept it. Sure. Sure. But for him, it doesn't matter. Right. As it's, there's nothing, there's nothing making his life difficult if she refuses it, um, not not in terms of like he could keep trying, right? It's not. This isn't the case where if a woman wants a get and the man won't give it to her, now she's in a real bad way because he's not going to want to give it to her, right? All I'm trying to say, we don't have to go down this road of guillotine right the second, but all I'm trying to say is the power for divorce is in the man's hand, and so him being very clear about saying I'm done means that they can go to as many rabbis as they want and they can try to do this as much as they want. But at the end of the day, if he's adamant, there's a better chance that this is going to be dissolved than if she was the one who was being adamant. That was the only point I was trying to make. Rabbi Shads, if she continues to be adamant, yeah, he's still blocked from a, a getting married religiously again. If she's adamant, if she's adamant about what? about he offers her the get practically forces it on her and she keeps on saying no and he though has another relationship he can't get married again right so he can get a dispensation to get married again so when Rai Parnik jumped in before he he's correct that there there are ramifications for men also a hundred percent I they are just not as hard to get around or as difficult for the man as they are for a woman who is in a scenario in which she wants a get and the man does not. That that's that was the point I was trying to make. Right. For the man, they can, you know, you can get special dispensation to remarry even if the woman didn't accept it. 
Whereas for a woman, there's no equivalent special Even in an Orthodox context? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because the- you More know, so, probably, in an Orthodox context, actually. Right. I mean, keep in mind that, you know, in certain, you know, in Yemen, up until the Jews left Yemen, many men had multiple wives, right? So the, the fact that he has one wife who won't dissolve the marriage, you know, that it doesn't, you know, they can just say, okay, we'll grant dispensation um, for you to marry someone else. By the way, has anyone seen the movie Ushpizid? So uh, lots of people. So the, you might know this, the couple in Ushpizid, right? The, the, you know, who, it's their sukkah, right? The husband and wife couple um, are in real life married. And right, that's, it's a whole story. They're both Bali Chuba. But the, in, in real life, the, they have been sort of getting divorced and the woman has, the wife, who's the wife in the movie as well, has refused to accept a get. And the man has been dating this popular television personality and, you know, got special dispensation to marry, you know, potentially to marry her because his wife, you know, whatever, ex-wife, wife, whatever you want to call it, she won't accept the divorce document. Um, like for years, for like seven or eight years. So it's it's like a whole thing just in recent months. I mean, Israel, that's come out. I mean, in recent, it's been going on for years now. But um, in recent months where, you know, a court ruled that he could uh, remarry even though he's still married. You know, so this is something that, again, it's, you need special dispensation, but you can get, a man can get it. Hmm. Yeah, interesting little story. Came up in Jews in the News, my Jews in the News class. Good name. Yeah, stole it from my dad. Um, (laughs) Now everybody knows. Yeah. Any other thought? We can go to a different topic. If people have other questions or thoughts of of other things that happened in this episode, I'll just point out, Rob Kornick said that the whole show is about this, but I'm just going to say it anyway, um, that I think that this, ep- this episode very clearly also shows how the people in the, the people's lives that we are following, they are picking and choosing when to be from. Right. And which is very interesting to me as just kind of a general motif that that we see Nati and the girl. Nitsan. Yep. Um, We see them sitting in the car and she's crying and he's like petting her face. And then later on, um, God, I'm really bad with names today. Um, Amir and Ifat are in the movie theater and he puts his arm around her. But then when they look like they're about to kiss, because that's what it looks like in movies, that we, they don't because they're not going to kiss, but he can put his arm around her. There are so many of these moments of, you know, we, you are, you're from, but, but let me tell you the ways that which I'm like, okay with you not being super from, um, like Rayut wears pants, but then she says a bracha over her food, which obviously there are people like me who wear pants and say brachas over their food. But but in general, this idea of these being very from people, and then they have like this thing that makes them kind of a little bit, a little bit not as from as you might think. Um, that was just, that stuck out to me this episode more so than, uh, more so than others. I assume 92 day period is in case she's pregnant 
If she is, can she still choose to get divorced? 92, did, did I miss something? When, when they left the Beit Din, they said, okay, in 92 days, you can move on or get married, whatever, but you have to wait 92 days. I did not hear that. Oh, I missed that. Um, that seems reasonable. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I totally missed that. Um, that seems like a reasonable thing to set to assume that, you know, wait three months and see if you get pregnant because that might change the calculus kind of thing. I don't think it would change necessarily halakhically, but it might change the... the, the yeah, uh, their own... Decision making. But the couple can still choose to go ahead with the divorce even if she is pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Norm, yes, you make a very good point. There are many from people who are not sure. Yeah, I just, those happen to be the, the, the examples from this week's episode. I just mean in general, like to call yourselves from and then to have a thing that we're all witnessing that, that kind of takes you potentially out of that, um, out of that definition. I don't know. Maybe not. But even like you think about Elisheva, the sister, who like, when we first met her, you know, in some ways she's like, very from you know she's like i don't talk to people who aren't from anymore you know right do you remember that from like when we first met her she was like i don't have friends who aren't from and yet she's like alone in her apartment with her boyfriend who granted they're going towards engagement but they're not engaged you know so like yeah that's kind of you know that's like you know. This also is like completely zero judgment. Like I actually think it's great. Um, <laughs> there are ways in which they can call themselves observant, but they have little things that they still, um, you know, are are ready to do or feel are appropriate in the modern day world. I think it's wonderful. I just think it's an interesting part of these characters' development and how we see them kind of pushing and pulling in this from world that they're living in, uh, especially with Ifat and Amir. I think uh, for me in my own. Uh, yeah. Any other, yeah. any other things you want to talk about from this week's episode? I, I would just say that in every episode, there are issues where they're not really following the rules. I mean, Nati and Yifat slept together, let's be honest. So, um, you know, so it's every episode, something like that happens and, and, you know, that makes them more human. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. When you said slept together, I was like, did I miss something? But you mean actually slept in the same bed together. They, yeah, great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he fought, like, has these really bizarre boundaries. when it Right, comes she said to- she wasn't, you know, when the guy came over and, she, you know, who said he wasn't yeah. firm anymore, right? Or when Nazi, after breaking up, and he, she said, I don't hug. But yet Amir put his hand around her. You know, like, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No, there are definitely I those. love touching of the face. I don't know. Anyway. Um, anything else we should bring up from this episode? Poor Yochai. No, no. Okay. Well, we don't have to sit here for three minutes in silence. Um, there, there's one episode left of this season. Um, so we hope that you will watch it and we hope that you will come to class to discuss it. Uh, and then the next week we will start season two and, um, and start in that, uh, I think it's just a continuation, but you know, start in that realm of, of the show. I hope you have a great rest of your evening. I hope it was a lovely day and uh, see you later. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site. 
or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.